0: To join SelfWealth now, use the link in your podcast player or head to selfwealth.com.au and use the coupon code RASK during sign-up. Thanks for tuning in to today's podcast. Please remember that all of the information in this podcast episode is limited to general information only. That means the information is not specific to you, your needs, goals, or objectives. So you should seek the advice of a licensed and trusted financial professional before acting on the information. And before you acquire or apply for a financial product, please read the PDS or product disclosure statement which should be available on the issuer's website. Lastly, please keep in mind that past performance is not indicative of future performance. In this episode of the Australian Investors Podcast, I'm chatting to Per Amundsen of Think Tank Commercial Property Finance. Think Tank is a relatively unique business because it serves both commercial property borrowers like SMSFs and it serves commercial property investors and those investors who want to get exposure to commercial property and the yield and I guess the the lower volatility that comes with that, but they don't necessarily want to take the risk of a single property. Think Tank presents, and Per, I should say, presents this information in a really consumable way. Given that it's an asset class many investors do not have direct exposure to or typically rely on third-party advice to get exposure to, I think this is a really good overview and, I guess, layer the land of commercial property finance. If you like this episode and you want to hear more of this type of conversation, I'd love to know what you think, so send me a message. As always, I hope you enjoy this episode of the Australian Investors Podcast. Per, thanks for joining me on the podcast.
1: You're very welcome. Nice to be with you.
0: One of the things I like to do is to hear a bit about your backstory. You've got a very, um, I guess, impressive backstory when it comes to banking, but then also now um, on the commercial property debt perspective, but commercial property more broadly as well. So why don't we go back, Per, and talk a bit about um, where your journey to finance and investing started. Was anyone in your family uh, in investing or finance
1: um, it was for one part of the family was indeed and um, that's how I ended up uh, starting out in uh, in banking after um, taking a um, a break um, uh, from university uh, mm-hmm. before going back and um, i um, uh, was um, uh, sort of directed to uh, an uncle of mine. Who, uh, worked at a Canadian bank called the Toronto Dominion Bank. And, mm-hmm. uh, he said, Oh, we can put you to work for a while. And, um, sure enough, about, um, I don't know how many years, uh, um, 18 years later, um, <laughs> I, <laughs> I ended up in, in Australia and, uh, had, uh, had been working, um, for TD, as they call it in Canada. Mm-hmm. It's a bit, uh, a bit ironic uh, uh, that today, while well, we're speaking, is uh, the first of July, which is Canada Day. So there's, hmm. there may be, may be some relevance there too. But I ended up uh, here in um, '87 after uh, working uh, various parts of the world with TD, and um, we opened up a uh, corporate finance operation here, which was very exciting. And uh, you might remember 1987 there were a few uh, glitches in the stock market kind of mm-hmm. reminiscent of a few months ago and um so it was uh, it was really quite um, quite fascinating and uh i met my wife the first day i arrived which uh, which was also quite kind of interesting so uh, that that led to all sorts of things and uh i uh, ended up uh, being recruited by Westpac to uh run some of their corporate um, uh banking divisions and um, ended up uh, spending the rest of my life
0: here. Yeah, right. So um, obviously, if we go back a little bit, you, you, you said you took a break from university. Um, was it a hard decision to, to end up staying in Australia?
1: Oh, it, it, I had um, pretty well um, uh, thought I'd be traveling around the world. With, um, with TD and then, you know, eventually end up back in Canada, but uh, I had spent quite a few years working um, offshore with them, and um, Australia was uh, just another posting, but mm-hmm. um, uh, after meeting my wife, and I have to say, enjoying Australia so much, um, I um, uh, and, and when I arrived, I uh, interestingly they uh, they arranged permanent residence visas um uh, for people like myself wherever we went so that they didn't have to worry about us getting um, getting booted out and mm-hmm. um so it was quite an easy thing for me to do when when Westpac said um hey would you like to come and work with us they were just at that time really expanding a lot of their corporate banking to be more international in, in nature and um, having the experience I had, they thought I could help them and I had a, a very uh, very enjoy- enjoyable time with them as well.
0: For those people who aren't familiar with corporate banking and I, I, I'm led to believe that you rose um, pretty highly in Westpac up to be the head of the Asian business if I'm not mistaken, what did your, what did your role entail towards the end of uh, your time at Westpac?
1: well it um it, it's mostly uh dealing with um large uh companies and um uh examples would be the uh, uh the japanese uh, trading companies i'd worked in tokyo uh, for a while and so you um uh, you're really managing relationships and um it uh, it it was just it was just fascinating because you you deal with people here in Australia obviously but then also uh, in the Asian business uh, area uh, in in Japan elsewhere in Asia and at that time uh, things were really expanding for the Australian banks in in the Asian area so it was um, it was very very interesting um they also because I had spent a lot of time in property um we uh, uh, very big investors in in Australian property so you could kind of uh, blend the two uh, mm. both an experience in dealing with international business and asian business in particular and then uh dealing with uh, with property
0: mm. it's 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 an interesting relationship because there's so many appealing aspects about Australian property, which we'll get to in just a moment. But oftentimes, it's only the negative things which which hit the, the headlines. Um, if if I'm not mistaken, Per, you 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 moved from Westpac, you moved on to AMP, and then to eventually to Mervac, um, and then Quadrant, I should say too. But that was after the the GFC. Can you describe the the market in Australia? I guess. Uh, in the lead up to the GFC some of the lessons you learned there in the roles
1: that that you fulfilled yeah it it's it's interesting because of course um what we're doing right now is is looking at the environment uh and uh, trying to pick uh, things that uh, perhaps are similar mm. and and perhaps uh, more importantly things that are very different um and and i might go back a little further to uh, the early um, 1990s and mm. uh, at that time I was working with Westpac and um, you, you might recall the, uh, the time. It was a very, mm. very tough time for Westpac and a lot of the issues had to do with uh, property and uh, property development and lending against developers, but um, very, very different than some of the issues that we're looking at today. Interest rates were sky high and and if there's if there's one uh, aspect of the the economic environment that that makes what we're facing today completely different in my mind it could be just that i was looking uh, at uh, what the cash rate was at um in in the early 90s um for some research i was doing and it's hard to believe because you know it's quite a while ago mm. that you know Fifteen percent, up to Mm. seventeen percent at one time, very briefly. And what would someone who had a uh, a commercial property that uh, they had funded uh, against debt and were paying interest rates like that? What would they do if if the market fell, out the bottom fell out of it, and and uh, vacancies started to rise? Well, there wasn't much they could do at all. The market just collapsed. But the other really interesting thing was the one aspect or one sector that was doing very well was retail. And mm. <laughs> what's happened today? Well, boy, if, if there's one, one uh, bunch of uh, property types that are really struggling, it's retail and particularly mm. the big shopping centers. And uh, yet back then, that was, they were leading the way. So um, all sorts of, of different things that drive uh, property, drive investment, and uh, looking for those differences when we're, we're comparing periods of stress, I think is a, is a very important thing. And um, it's funny, you don't seem to see uh, as much comment about that in, in the uh, financial press as, as you might think every once in a while someone does uh, and there was one recent article I saw where they were particularly emphasizing that but it doesn't come up too often but it's it's worth considering hmm. how about
0: how about then i guess that that seems there's some similarities but also some crucial differences there how about during the gfc i think that's maybe it's just recency bias i guess maybe it's etched into people's memory a bit more but how do you how do you compare then to now
1: um Listen, I we went pretty well during mm. the GFC, the um, uh, and and it was fairly temporary uh, for us, um, and uh, I thought that um, uh, it was it was almost like more of a um, stock market driven event, which mm. is, is so different. From uh, what we were uh, uh, what we're dealing with with now, um, I thought it was quite similar to my um, memory of um, 1987 and the stock market crash then, which occurred just just as I arrived in Australia. Um, but um, uh, we we found that uh, we were able to uh, to work through the GFC in the property sector um, really very well and um different different sort of um demand issues, I guess, for different sectors of property, things that we're seeing now that um that don't really seem uh much like uh, what it was back in uh, two thousand and eight so um yeah i'm uh, i'm I'm thinking that um it, as we get uh, through the next little while and start to see uh some sustained recovery that um we'll will be in pretty good shape uh here uh, thank goodness and I, mm. I speak to my family overseas quite often thank goodness uh, we all live in australia it's it 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 just has dealt with this uh, crisis uh so extraordinarily well and i know that there's Obviously, uh, uh, all sorts of uh, issues that come up between the premiers and who's locking down what border. But when you compare it to uh, what we read about and see on the television in the United States and and even in my home of Canada, um, uh, things are much worse there in terms Mm -hmm. of the number of cases and and we're really lucky here, Um, it doesn't mean that, that you don't see that impact though i uh, i speak to a lot of our our borrowers and um you know they they're making uh good progress in their businesses picking up but just as as uh, one gentleman i spoke to today was saying you know things are just getting better and then he happened to be in one of the suburbs in uh, melbourne that's been locked down and uh, he said it's just going to, you know, put me back another month, month and a half, and uh, that's quite, quite depressing. And I think, you know, sentiment has a lot to do with it. If um, if you can see the light at the end of the tunnel, you're going to be uh, much more positive about mm. how you're going to work through these issues. And uh, if uh, if you start getting down. About it, and say, Oh gosh, there 's going to be a second wave, and this is going to happen, and that 's going to happen it 's uh, pretty tough to keep uh, going, but uh, I find that most people are positive, and um, they're they 're just thinking give it give it a few more months, and we 'll start to see things picking up again
0: mm. you may, okay so one of the things that we should probably frame for our for our listeners here is I guess around about two thousand and six is um, when you When you uh, took up a position director think tank uh, the business commercial property finance, people may have heard of it and probably a lot of our listeners have heard of the business. but can you talk about the early days and i guess why the business came into um, existence and the opportunity that was there at the time and and maybe bring us up to speed to your role today
1: sure yeah it uh, it was it was very very exciting, and like I think a lot of um, uh, business startups um uh happens by chance mm. and um at the time uh you can go back a little bit uh just before that um AMP was going through some difficulties uh, and um they were changing the, uh, the the business structure and um the uh, the business that I was running um uh, they decided it was going to be better for them to sell that, get the capital back, and uh move on into mm-hmm. into different things and um, uh, myself and uh, a couple of um, my key colleagues in the business uh thought that um wow what an opportunity this might be for us to recreate this business. And um, uh, what it basically was 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 a um, commercial property
0: finance
1: operation that used uh, brokers, third-party introducers, in much the same way that residential property was operating. And not many people did the commercial bit. Uh, We thought we did it pretty well, and it was it was a profitable business for A and P, so they weren't getting out of it because it um, it wasn't making money for them. They just needed to look at their capital resources and how they could allocate that. The other thing we had done that attracted us to it was that um, we had done the first securitization of hmm. commercial property here in Australia through AMP. And uh, again, my colleagues and I had worked closely on that. And uh, we thought we could replicate that and course, what we had to find were some people to join us as, as investors and mm-hmm. uh, find a bank that was willing to provide the warehouse funding for it. And um, Luckily, the, the connections that we had all had and the experience we had in corporate banking uh, and the fact that we had actually done a securitization program for commercial property um, uh, opened the doors. To people who could could assist us and um our our third partner basically was uh, was a broker a commercial broker whom we got introduced uh to um uh, again just by someone else that we both knew and um it turned out to be a well just a you know a great a great experience coming together with these people and um we're all still here um uh, many years later. And uh, and still enjoy working with each other. And the business has, actually, I think in the last couple of years, has probably um, even uh, outdone what uh, what we thought it might be able to.
0: Mm, that's fantastic. I think you can look back over some of the announcements that have come out of the business over the nearly 15 years now, and, and you can you can trace them, and you can see particular milestones through time. One of the really interesting points of our conversation, um, which we, we spoke off air about, is, I guess, the the ability to serve both sides of the market. So you've got investors and you've got borrowers. Can you explain, maybe with an example, how the, the business works and how it fulfills the needs of both of those people? And then we'll tie that in, I guess, later on in the conversation with why this is an interesting uh, asset class right now.
1: Yes, sure. It... Um, um I'll just deal with the structure first which uh, mm. is probably the um, uh, the easiest way to introduce uh, how investors can become involved um because it's quite different from the uh, the way that many uh, individuals think of um, investing in property and they they can think of some some historical stories that maybe aren't that pleasant and, and mm. don't have great outcomes but they also realize that uh, within property there there are very attractive returns so the, the 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 really the secret is how do you capture those attractive returns and yet not expose yourself to some of the risks that we've seen that have uh, have damaged other um, other investors and businesses so um the way that um uh, we structure the business and, and this all revolves around this securitization uh, business that um, I mentioned uh, earlier is that um, funders, and, and initially it's it's the banks, um, lend us money within a particular trust, so a a um, uh, a structure that's um, uh, that's really closed, so that um, uh, none of the security or the money uh, uh, can escape. From the particular structure, uh, and and we use that money to lend to uh, borrowers who provide us with first mortgage security against properties that meet certain criteria. And these are all held by a, a trustee in a particular structure. And uh, the monies that flow in through repayments and interest, etc., all flow down what uh, generally are called waterfalls, which probably is a uh, an apt description for them. So the money flows in and then gets distributed to um, all the lenders. And the lenders uh, all sit at different levels of priority within these structures. So the uh, people who are most secure, who are the senior debt providers who sit right at the top of the stack, they get the, they get still get good margins, but they get the slimmest margins because they take the least risk. You then go down through this, what's called a capital stack, and as you go down, you find different types of investors, uh, investment companies um, that uh, uh, are willing to take a slightly higher risk for a slightly higher return. And within those type of levels, those parts of the capital stack, that's where you find individuals. Usually they're they're high net worth individuals, sophisticated investors, who can understand what um, these structures are all about. And uh, they're willing to invest because they can see that they, they are taking uh, greater risk than if you put it in a bank account or bought a government bond but i mean these days you get 1% if you're lucky mm. and uh with uh, with these type of investments in in property securitization structures you get uh, much higher returns and we'd be talking you know anywhere from say 5% for the a uh, 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 less risky Type of um, investment to uh, perhaps as high as eight percent for something that carried more risk, and we're certainly not the only people who do that. But um, they're very, very interesting types of investments for um, individuals to look at. Would I say that it's it's the type of investment that um, your uh, grandmother, who's never uh, dealt with um, uh, this type of uh, uh, an investment in property, or um, is knowledgeable about interest rates and returns. No, it's not for it's not for everyone. But um, people that have an interest in this and um, uh, have that level of uh, sophistication, uh, it's it's very interesting because it's the level of returns are so low elsewhere that. You really have to have to look at something else. You have to look at alternatives.
0: Mm. Yeah, one of the things that this kind of catchphrase that a lot of pundits have jumped on lately is this idea of "Tina," and it's uh, there is no alternative. And normally, what people think of when they say when they hear that is there is no alternative to the stock market. So people think yeah. you know, bond yields are pretty low, uh, interest rates are extremely low. Uh, dividends are still there for for most companies uh, we'll see how they fare throughout the coronavirus um, I guess, shock but this is a, another aspect of I guess um, an asset class that people probably don't at least in my experience probably don't pay enough attention to maybe because they don't understand it or maybe they just don't know, they're just not aware of it I think you put out a, um, a, a piece recently where you talked about the allocations in most self-managed super funds for example Yes, are predominantly to listed shares and cash, and pretty much everything else is dwarfed by that. Um, but yet, this is probably one of those instances where Tina applies. And if people still have that longer-term time horizon, and these sophisticated investors or SMSFs, etc., are looking around, thinking, "What are the opportunities for me?" Maybe the SMSFs thinking, "I want to borrow money because I want to invest in something," um, or just get exposure exposure to these types of um, returns. I think this is the time to that a lot of these these companies are th- these people are thinking about it.
1: Yes, it's it's uh, your your mention of the uh, asset allocation within SMSFs um uh, it's is very interesting and we we have a special interest in SMSFs because we uh, we lend to them to invest in property and not a lot of other people do that and um there's there's a, a level of um uh, of of knowledge uh, that you have mm. to have to, to be able to do that, uh, both both at the borrower's level and the advisors, of course, that are dealing with them, and uh, as a lender. But the, the point that you were making, when you look at the statistics that the regulator of uh, SMSS, the Australian Tax Office, puts out, it's quite amazing at how much is just cash, cash and term mm. deposits. In a period when we're Dealing with record low interest rates, it it and it doesn't change much. It's not as if people all of a sudden, as the rates were coming down, said, "Oh, you know, we better get out of that and do something else." And and then next to that, at about the same level, are uh, equities, and um, you can understand that because I think. Um, uh, when when we look at the statistics, uh, if we take the banks, for instance, the listed banks, the majors, they're really favourites of, of of the SMSFs because they were paying very good levels of dividends. They were fully franked. The franking mm-hmm. credits, uh, thank goodness for them, uh, had had uh, uh, lasted through the last election and uh, efforts by some to uh, to get rid of them but they um they provided a very good return but then what happens when all of a sudden there is a a crisis and most of the banks canceled their dividends this mm. last financial period they're saying oh they may they may reconsider that uh, in another 3 months august september but um uh, it's it's devastating for retirees and SMSS who've depended on those. And so the the whole idea of diversification, I think, is, is what comes up when you start thinking about that. So sure, you should have some amount of, of cash. You should have some amount of safe bond-type investments. But you also should look at other higher-yielding assets and consider if... If you feel comfortable with them and if you have the knowledge to be able to deal with them, that that that's something that has a place in the asset allocation of something like an SMSF or the SMSF is really you know a, a tax structure, so mm-hmm. um, it's um, it can just as easily be your family trust and uh, and or some other investment vehicle, and and you just decide well you know I've got this this $100 to invest, how am I going to split that up? And taking a look at at something like property, obviously, and at some sorts of property investments, property debt investments, such as we offer, um, it's worthwhile doing.
0: Mm. When people, like you said before, when, when people think about this, they often recall kind of the negative instances where there's certain investors have faced pretty severe capital loss. And as we now go through coronavirus and, and the shock that comes with that, both in financial markets, but also, you know, in, in just walking down the street, you can see that yes. many of these retail outlets are out of business or just completely not functional. Um, how do you think about risk management, both as a, as a lender and as an investor?
1: Yeah, well, two, um, two pretty key, um, uh, Issues I think for the investor to look at is um, within the the structure that they're investing. um, What's and again we another we'll use the same word. What sort of diversification do you have? So do you have? are, Are you lending to maybe just a couple of different borrowers with maybe three four properties as the security? Or are you dealing with literally hundreds of borrowers with hundreds of securities? And what that does is it minimizes the risk that they're all going to have a problem at the same time. It, mm-hmm. It's just, it's just pure mathematics. The other thing that you need to look at is what's the track record of the people who are managing those investments? And, um, it's, it's one of the reasons why when, when you first start out, um, it's hard to, to attract a lot of investors. You know, The first day you, you open the door and put the shingle up, uh, people, they don't know you. So they what, say, what have you done? You can talk about your history, and unless they've dealt with you before, it's pretty hard for them to say, well, I'm going to put you know, some of my retirement savings in, in your hands uh, because you've got a good story. What they want to see is track record. And uh, we think that that ourselves and other people who do the same sort of business really try and emphasize that so they try and get across to the potential investors and the advisors that uh, this is this is what we do, uh, this is how we do it, and we've done it for a number of years, and this is the the track record
0: that we have mm. so when you look back over think takes i guess track record in history. Um, I saw uh, on the website that it's pretty impressive in terms of, I guess the the absolute return and the, the absolute risk that investors have faced in either of the funds over a very long period of time. Um, do you care, can you care to mention how I guess how from an investment perspective and how the I guess the the allocations within the the capital stack and and I yeah. guess how you think about that and how that's reflected in that, that sure. downside?
1: Yeah. It, it's um, uh, one of the uh, the beauties of it is that um, investors uh, in our, our private funds um, are really taking the same risk that 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 we take and other uh, 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 corporate and institutional investors take in our whole portfolio. So it's not as if we we identify you know just a couple of loans that uh, that you invest in. You really get the uh, uh, the safety and protection of the of the hundreds, thousands of loans that we have have out there. So it's kind of a uh, a shared risk. And uh, yes, the money goes into a particular loan, but those are all within those trusts that I was speaking of. So there's there's protection that you get from that. And the other side of it is that you can look at the track record. And say, ah, okay. So over the years, um, uh, how many losses have you suffered? What percentage of losses? And because we only make relatively small loans, we don't make any loans over three million dollars. The um, uh, the impact uh, is, is not that great if you have a problem, and it's it's just easier to recover that amount of money than if you had to sell. You know, a hundred million dollar office building, and and the market was weak. Um, That's that's a tough call. If you're dealing with a smaller industrial property, there's much more demand for it. Uh, There are many many more potential buyers, and so uh, the uh, the type of of uh, problems that you would always face with with lending. The, 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 the lender who tells you they uh, they have no arrears, they have no uh, problems to uh, to address and work out, is not telling you the truth because it's just it's the nature of the business. It's how you manage them and what the outcome of those uh, issues are. And and for us, um, I have to say, and uh, some of it is uh, you'd say, well. Um, also good fortune, because um, uh, the markets have been been good in property. Um, uh, minimal losses over the period of time that we've been in business. And all of those statistics and all of that background is provided to investors so they can have a very clear picture of, of what we've been doing and what the results have been.
0: Mm. You see, one of the things that I think about is and I'm definitely not the first one so this is not an original thought but you know, one of the things I think about is particularly on some of the big bond funds um, investing in, in guvies gov- or anything like that the, the duration and the I guess the risk around that is substantial right now because interest rates are so low right? so if you think about a traditionally safe um, uncorrelated asset class for the most part now in portfolios alongside shares or equities you now have, I guess, substantial potential for volatility and risk there. But if you're, you're willing to hold to maturity, um, you're still not getting, I guess, a great reward for your, for the risk that you're taking. Whereas if we look a little bit further down, I guess, the the curve and a bit further out in the risk curve, I should say, um, we're looking at different asset classes. And, and this is where, I guess, commercial real estate debt comes into a lot of people's thinking because... Um, the returns are probably asymmetric, when you, especially when you put them alongside traditional bond markets. Um, one thing i 'm interested to, to understand more about is if someone invests in, to, get, to get exposure to commercial real estate debt, what are they actually getting typically? Cause, and the reason why I ask this is because I, I believe that you 've structured it a little bit differently insofar as normally we 'd invest in a managed fund, you'd get units, you'd get distributions, et etc. But I think you went a bit differently.
1: Yes, it's um, uh, it's really a, a, a an investment that that you make in in the trust as, as an individual or, or a trust or an SMSF, and um, it's 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 an obligation that the trust has to you, but it's it's not um, tradable in in terms of selling it off to to someone else. You you literally um, you should have a longer term perspective because it's not something that you're going to put in one month and take out the next. Um, uh, we we try and accommodate people if there are liquidity issues, which you know arise in life, but um, uh, typically um, you you really are making a commitment to uh, leave those monies in the fund. For a, a period of time, probably up to at least a year. Um, but as I say, when when uh, matters arise that something changes, if we can accommodate, we do, and usually we've been able to. Um, but um, it's um, yeah, it, it's it's a little bit different, and that's why it's it's really worthwhile reading the information memorandum that um, that's supplied. To prospective investors. I mean, I know sometimes um, people get you know, well. You know, you and I are interested in this sort of stuff, but not everybody <laughs> is. And and uh, there's a certain amount of information that we're obliged to provide, but it's it's also really in the interest of the investor to to review it. You know, take some time, sit down, make sure that you're comfortable. With uh, with what's being described, what the history that I've been talking about uh, is in the company, and what the performance has been, and and then at the end of it, you either say, yes, I'm I'm, I'm comfortable putting some money in it. I, I would never recommend to any investor that they put all their money in any particular uh, 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 type of asset. Uh, I think that that's just it's just you know diversification. Is, is your friend as an investor, but once you're comfortable and you sit down, and whether it's with with your partner or maybe it's just you, and you think about it, you say, "Yep, I'm comfortable making that sort of investment." That's that's when it's it's good to to then take the next step. But to uh, so just run into it, rush into it, and throw everything at it because because the yield looks good, which you know quite possibly is the case today, and that's sometimes what happens with equities. Uh, People say, "Oh my gosh, this stock has gone up fifty percent. Oh, I better get into that." Well, yeah, it might go down fifty percent in the next uh, couple of months too. So you you want to be um, uh, comfortable that you you really understand the risk that you're taking.
0: Mm. Yeah, Per, it's one of those things where I guess you you would maybe think of it, probably equities to. To commercial real estate debt is probably not a great comparison because it's not necessarily apples to apples or even in they're probably not even both fruit to quite keep right. going with that. Yep. <laughs> but but the 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 thing about it is that there's people out there probably thinking, like I was quite a few months ago, my options are really maybe maybe hybrids, maybe term deposits if I'm being a bit more conservative. Um but even hybrids can be quite complicated, right? So you say read the um, the IM, but even there, there's in it, in it. If you have the side by side, you'll be looking at a hybrid um, information document, and most people will probably be bamboozled by that because will just not read it because it's way too long. Yes, um, yes. But that, that's
1: a big, a big issue. It, it, it's uh, funny you should mention it because um, we we try to be quite aware of that. How do we get the information across to people? The information that we need to get across but how do we keep it at a manageable uh uh length so that someone isn't faced with reading, you know, a 60-page i n they won't do it. Most people just won't do it.
0: Mm. Mm. And it, and it's like you said it's important, right? And I think recent experience with a lot of people who had for example bank bank stocks for the dividends and then hybrids for for the yield there are discovering now that those two things are probably Too, too much, the same. Um, But my point was more so around you know I guess when you think about it as an asset class and something to allocate to, and it's not something that we talk about enough on the show because we normally talk about equities, right? Because it's a bit sexier and it's a bit you know everyone loves stocks and ideas and that type of thing. But this is a very important part of a portfolio. Um, You would probably be thinking those two things at least side by side when I'm when I'm looking at building a portfolio, for example. um, How how do you think about, I guess, this exposure more broad strokes than um, sitting in a diverse portfolio? The ATO mentioned 6%. Um, do you think that's too low?
1: Oh, I, I, I do. Um, but um, I do also understand that um, it's, it's for the people that we deal with, getting into direct property in um in SMSS is is a big step because mm-hmm. almost uh, inevitably uh, and the ATO has brought this up uh, quite frequently uh, and in fact um, uh, they brought it up very strongly that you you are really giving up some of the protection that diversification provides you when you invest in Direct property because it, it there's just a, a, a certain dollar amount mm. that that it, it makes up the value of, of any sort of property even if it's you know the smallest residential unit you could find it's still going to be hundreds of thousands of dollars and and for many people their their superannuation savings um, they're they're not in the millions they're uh, they're much less than that so you get a uh, a very high uh, uh concentration of of mm-hmm. the asset in that. Um one of the ways that people get around that is is and, and it it can assist is by borrowing through limited recourse borrowing arrangements. But the the, the tax office and, and regulators have have been and I understand why they, they've been against it. They've they've spoken often about why they think that's not a good idea because they think that it it adds tremendously to the the risk that people's superannuation savings are subjected to. Mm. I have to say, in, in, in my experience and the analysis that you can subject that to, that's not the real outcome. Uh, the um, uh, SMSFs that that borrow money tend to do so very conservatively. They're very aware that they're putting their superannuation superannuation savings at risk and and the the outcome of what what they do in in no way has subjected the uh, the industry or the system to uh, what's described as a systemic risk. And and they've admitted that after looking at that quite um, quite closely. But they're still they're still not completely sold. Uh, I don't think we haven't heard much about it because they've had other things to think about. But uh, my guess is that um, th- that sort of a question will come up again. I think for the right type of investor, um, direct property in your superannuation fund in your SMSF is an outstanding investment. I'll just give you a quick example of uh, Mm. where we see people benefiting the most. And that's uh, people who um, run their own business, who use their superannuation fund and often borrowings uh, uh, within the SMSF uh, to buy their own business premises. And there are special rules that allow them to do this. Uh, within the uh, uh, Superannuation Industry Savings uh, Supervision Act, and it's it just is uh, makes so much sense in terms of instead of paying rent to a third party for their business premises, they're paying rent to themselves in 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 a superannuation fund, and uh, it's 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 their livelihood, it's their business, and uh, it's it's a tremendous way. To benefit from it, and um, uh, I would say about about fifty percent of the um, of the people that we deal with would fit that sort of a description, and um, Mm. uh, they have been very very successful with them. Mm.
0: It's definitely something that if I put on a financial planning cap, you you talk about a lot, right? You see it. particularly, uh, like you said, with people with businesses, obviously, but you see it as they transition as well in that around crucial stages in their life and yes, and how that absolutely. plays a role, a role there too. It's, it's, it's definitely one of those ones where you could probably commit an entire podcast series just to talking about the nuances in it, but it's, it's certainly something that I think if people aren't aware of, they should be. Um, yeah, from and,
1: and, and as you say, the the education side of it is important because um, uh, most of the, the people that we... Um, uh, get introduced to us. Um, have learned of this through a financial advisor, mm-hmm. and 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 many of them have been referred to those financial advisors by their accountants because their accountants understand their tax position, they understand how their business is operating, and while accountants um, uh, can't provide the full range of financial advice because of the licensing um, restrictions, they can introduce you to financial advisors. And it's um, it's so well worthwhile looking at these sorts of alternatives. Mm,
0: for sure. Per, I think it would be remiss of me, as we come towards the back end of the conversation, I think it would be remiss of me not to ask you how you think, um, I know you've got a bit of this in the latest monthlies, but how you think about COVID's impact on the retail, office space, property at large. How how long do you, if you could stare into your crystal ball, how long do you think you know property investors if they will be impacted by this how long and and kind of what are the outcomes for investors in the market right now
1: yes yeah it's 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 very interesting isn't it and um, you mentioned um, the retail in particular um it's um uh, i think that um, and we have been thinking and uh, we've we've written about this uh, a number of times over the past um, uh, literally few years, that um, retail um, was was kind of a growing risk in mm. in our view, and it seems that the um, COVID nineteen crisis has has just been the the trigger to bring all of these these issues which um, have been arising right to a head. And um, the, uh, the, the hit to consumer confidence, the um, uh, issues where um, people just you know not, are not going to shopping centers. They, they don't want to go out and shop. They're going to uh, buy over the internet. And and it, it's been uh, almost uh, uh, you know an overnight. Uh, uh, issue that's that's arisen and you can you can read in the newspaper just about every day of some retail outlet that's um, uh, either uh, someone who is in uh, selling a product uh, uh, that that goes through the retail um uh, uh, mechanism that um, that they're they're going going under um or a um a landlord Owner of, of these shopping centers, who's uh, written down the value of the property, cutting their distributions. Um, you know, it's been quite a quite a quite a list over the last uh, couple of months of the real estate investment trusts that have uh, been in that position. So retail, to me, is is one that's um, a real um, uh, standout as as uh, having been impacted and impacted in such a way that. Uh, it, it's not just all going to change back to what it was. It's, there's, this impact is a lasting impact and um, we're, we're really going to have to adjust to it. The other area that I've mentioned a couple of times is, um, uh, and again, something that has kind of been, been brought on by the crisis was um, the, uh, the development of um, you know, off-the-plan units in uh, mm. particularly in the big big cities, uh, in Melbourne and um, in Sydney. And I'd long been concerned that um, there uh, could very easily be an oversupply and that we'd start to see uh, the impact on the um, prices of these units once they are um, uh, completed and settled compared to what the uh, contract was when it was sold off the plan. And we're starting to see that sort of thing. Now, and one of the things that I hadn't really factored into my concerns was um, migration. And mm. and we're seeing many more articles now about uh, what sort of impact the, the reduction in migration that is surely going to take place is going to have on on things like apartments in, in the inner city. And um, I think that will be one to, to watch as well. Um, the other, uh, working from home, um, just our experience um, here in our own business, uh, but it would be replicated in uh, thousands and thousands of others, is, um, is that um, uh, people are very comfortable working from home and I think businesses and, and we as business operators are more and more comfortable with our employees working from home. Sure, we, we like to see them in the office every once in a while just because we like to see them. But um, the, with technology, we, we may, we've we made, and others have just made leaps and bounds over the last three months. We've probably done things that would have taken us three years to do in three months. Mm. And I'm, I'm sure you've had the same sort of experience. And it's, um, uh, yeah, it's quite instructive. I don't think it's going to be um, a disaster for um, offices. I think it may um, uh, office space in the uh, in the big cities vacancy rates have been very very low uh, rents have been going up um, and that that will moderate. I don't think it's going to be a disaster at all, but um, that that will moderate. The area that we're very active in is the smaller industrial, mm-hmm. and um, uh, that is standing up very well again. Part of it is diversification, because there's a lot of it, but um, demand for distribution centers, which often exist alongside of industrial estates, um, is um, is adding to uh, the value of those areas. So um, uh, it will be very interesting, though, to see how valuers, how professional valuers uh, deal with all this. Right now, it's pretty up in the air. How do they how do they factor in these sorts of risks into the valuations that they provide to investors and purchasers? Um, and um, there are pages and pages of disclaimers in any valuation you'd look at today. <laughs> but as you can imagine, but um, it's um, it's changing. It, it will change. People get uh, comfortable with uh, with what's happening, and uh, probably one of the biggest factors in terms of valuing property are capitalization rates. So what mm. what's an acceptable yield for a property? What sort of income do you have to earn from it? And of course, with uh, with the cash rate at 0.25%, uh, government bonds uh, uh, being controlled to be about the same for three-year bonds and then 1% for 10-year bonds, um, you can't expect these capitalization rates to go uh, very high. They have gone up but you wouldn't expect them to go uh, uh, much further. So the the values are um, on, on things like uh, those industrial properties are probably pretty secure. Mm.
0: Yeah, I think for most people, most listeners will be familiar with capitalization rates and how they impact valuations and uh, I guess the incentives that come and need to be factored in there too. Um, it's, it's a really interesting um, Conversation. It's probably one that we could talk to for, for quite a while. <laughs> yes, like the
1: most of the other things we've spoken about today. Yeah,
0: yeah but so w- why don't I um, kind of wrap it up around there, Per. And what I'll say is I've got two final things. Just how, do, how can people get in touch with, with you and Think Tank? What's the, what's the best resource for them to learn more about this?
1: Yes, well, there is um, quite a bit on our website, which is, is just Think Tank Commercial finance and Mm -hmm. you'll you'll get um, uh, taken right away to a... um, uh, It's quite a large website because we um, cater to all of the brokers, Mm -hmm. uh, the finance brokers who introduce business to us, but there also is a special section for investors. So um, you can um, uh, access that and um, you can have direct access to a colleague of mine, uh, Lauren Ryan, who um, handles uh, personally uh, investors who are interested in mm. uh, in, in think tank and um, you'll get excellent attention from her and and there's a lot of material that you can read as well and um, uh, some of it um, uh, is is just uh, opinion that we write in in terms of providing research on property and the markets and and other is is. Information memorandum that has facts about the background of our business, such as I was mm. talking about, and that I'd suggest you take a look at. Mm.
0: And I'll put all those links in the show notes. I think it's a it's it's a sector that people should know more about. Even myself, I you know probably don't. Appreciated enough. Um, I'd spend so much time looking at individual businesses and stocks and what have you. But I'm just so happy that you could come on the show and and give us this kind of this introduction to the sector um, and to kind of the business you've built and how it kind of serves both parties. One final question for you, Per. One that I always ask is more of a philosophical one, I guess. Um, If you could go back and tell yourself one thing about money or investing, what would it be?
1: Wow. it's um it, you know it's it's a bit the same it's diversification uh, i can think uh, to and, and you'd think i would have learned this um in um 1987 uh, i was um overweight uh with listed equities mm-hmm. and in 2008 i was overweight in listed equities <laughs> so <laughs> in the in the uh, 21 years i guess <laughs> Perhaps what had happened was that I had forgotten about it because one of the things that does happen when, when there are these sorts of um, negative uh, turns in markets, um, very often there, there's a good recovery that follows and, and then you start to forget some of the pain that you might have experienced previously.
0: Yeah, indeed. So I, I like that uh, fitting end to this, this conversation. Perth, thanks for your, your time today.
1: My pleasure. Thank you.